eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome into the Bears Illustrated podcast, presented by bearsillustrated.com your home for Baylor athletics and recruiting on 24-7 sports. I'm Pranay Malampati, alongside Andrew Meyer. This past weekend, Baylor knocked off Iowa State on the road in Ames by a score of 31-24. to They were leading 31-14 late in the game before Iowa State made a late push to, to make the score closer, but Baylor seemed to comfortably take hold of this game fairly early on in the second half. Andrew, what were your biggest takeaways from this win over Iowa State? Yeah, first first win in Ames for Baylor since 2016. I think that's the first uh, first time either Iowa State or Baylor has won a road game in the, in the series since 2016 as well. Um, Baylor just looked really good. It looked like they had uh, – taken the lessons and uh, from the BYU loss and didn't let lightning strike twice. Um, so, right. They went on the road, lost a tough one in a, in a really tough Provo environment. And they made sure that they made the adjustments that they needed to coaches and players alike. And they made sure that starting opening conference play in the big 12, that they wouldn't suffer the same fate to Iowa state. Um, and, you know, I, I put, put an article up on Bears Illustrated after the game with five, you know, five major takeaways from it. But but the ones that stuck out to me was the, the Baylor rush defense, uh, only holding the Cyclones to 66 yards of, of rushing. And Blake Shapin was, was definitely uh, better on the day, but still not perfect. Um, and then, you know, it was Coach Aranda and company that really just seemed like they really wanted to make a statement on that opening drive, uh, saying, hey, we're going to go for it twice on four from three and then four from two uh, on that opening drive where they could have maybe settled for, for points, taken a field goal. Uh, they really wanted to make a statement and, you know, they chewed up six minutes of six minutes, 20 seconds of clock. And, and they got the touchdown on, on that first drive of the, of the day. So th- those were the biggest things that, that stood out to, to me. What, what about you? What, what did you like um, best about the game? What, what, or what did you not like? Yeah. A couple of things that, stood out to me one was Richard Reese got 21 carries um Craig Williams was second with 10 I know Tay McWilliams wasn't playing correct um but I think it shows that the the coaching staff is 
confident in Richard Reese, and I hope this is what continues down the line with Reese being the feature back in Baylor's offense after his breakout game against Texas State. And he looked he looked solid against Iowa State, obviously a much better defense than Texas State, but he still looked fairly good. Um, and Blake Shapin, you said it, he, Blake Shapin looked good as well. Obviously, he, he wasn't perfect. There were some throws that weren't perfectly on target, but overall, I think Blake Shapin had a really good game. The numbers look really good. It's 19 for 26, 238, and three touchdowns. And if you look at some of the throws he made, there was one to Presley on the sideline that was that I thought was a good throw. Yeah. It, maybe it could have been defended a little better by the cornerback, but Blake Shapin put it in a spot that only Presley could go up and, and catch the ball, which he did. Um, I think Shapin looked good overall. And then there was there was one thing that I was a little concerned about it made me a little concerned is the fact that Baylor once again allowed Iowa state to have scoring drives in short time situations. Like at the end of the first half, Iowa state went down and scored a touchdown at the end of the second, at the end of the second half, Baylor was up 17 and they let Iowa state come back to within seven points. Um, this happened against BYU when Baylor allowed BYU to march right down the field in a minute 37 and at the end of the first half and score a touchdown, which gave them back the lead after Baylor had taken it on the previous drive. So that two minute slash end of half defense is still concerning to me. And I think that's going to be something that Dave Aranda and Ron Roberts are going to have to work on in practice this week. Yes, that's such an excellent point. Is Baylor not, you know, the end of drive, end of half um, drive defense? Uh, Baylor or BYU scored a touchdown right before halftime uh, after Baylor had gotten the momentum. And then Baylor against Iowa State up two scores, let Iowa State, um, you know, drive the length of the field and score a touchdown again there there as well. What, what's interesting to me is I would take it a step forward, Brene, and that was an outstanding point. But to me, it's the offense that needs to be able at those end of uh, end of half, end of game situations has to be able to get first downs and turn the clock so that we don't give, you know, the opponent or whatever, uh, two minutes left on the clock, two timeouts and 60 yards to go, you know, before halftime to swing the momentum. Uh, you know, Baylor in this instance went three and out before giving the ball back to Iowa State before half. You know, they got the ball back with maybe four minutes left and went three and out and then had to punt it back to Iowa State. Um, they just couldn't they just couldn't get that key first down to, to move the chains, get in a rhythm offensively, and to a point where Baylor very easily could have, you know, gone up 20, uh, 20 to seven or 24 to seven right right before half. They, they gave it back and now it's a three-point game uh, at half, just not stopping. Iowa State. So to me, that was that was definitely concerning where they weren't able to do that. Now, conversely, at the end of the game, after that overturned call for a touchdown, the fumble, the recovery in the end zone for a touchdown by Iowa State to make it 31-21, Baylor got the ball back and they were able to chew up uh, about four four minutes and 30 seconds of, of game clock uh, before punting the ball back to 
to Iowa State. You would have liked to see them maybe go down and, and score score there ideally, but there was seven minutes, 20 seconds left, you know, with Iowa State down 10 when Baylor got the ball, and they got key, three key first downs, I think it was, um, converting a couple third downs there to really just put the game, not, not ice it away completely, but make it to where you felt comfortable that it was going to be very difficult for Iowa State to uh, score 10 points in, in a little under three minutes and get an onside kick in between, which they almost did to, to Iowa State's credit. And the, the game was very reminiscent of 2019 and 2021 Baylor-Iowa State, where the Bears got up big, used a good first half to get up big, uh, 20-0 in 2019, and then 20 in 20 last year it was uh it, it was a few it was a few touchdowns and they had to rely um you know they had to stave off an Iowa State comeback in order to to win the game and and yesterday was no different but any any coach will tell you going on the road in conference play they're all tough and it's hard to get a win and you wrote a great article about how Dave Miranda has to prove that this year um if Baylor wants to take the next step uh as as champions that that coach Miranda has to prove that Baylor can go on the road and win ball games. Yeah, absolutely. Dave Aranda before this game was two and seven in Big Twelve games on the road. He became three and seven after this win. And I wrote this in the article, but winning at home makes a good coach. Winning on the road makes a great coach. And for Dave Aranda to become a great coach, like I think a lot of us Baylor fans believe he can be he's gonna need to do that and win on the road especially in conference play and it was a big step yesterday to get that win in Ames in the fashion that they got that win because Baylor like we mentioned earlier was up 31-14 late in the fourth quarter it was it was a game where it was Baylor was pretty like we were pretty confident Baylor was gonna win and just the ability to go into Ames and, and win for the first time in a while gives me confidence in Aranda's ability to continually win on the road, which is what's going to help Baylor continue to win Big 12 championships, even in years like this one where the road slate is brutal. I mean, you got at Iowa State, at West Virginia, where Baylor has never won, at Oklahoma, at Texas, and at Texas Tech, who looks good. So I think – I think this was a huge step on Saturday. And one thing I want to point out is, is how creative Aranda got or, or how Grimes, how creative Grimes got with the offense. We had Dylan Doyle, the linebacker come in and score a receiving touchdown at the goal line, which I think he had, he had one of those last year as well. So it's not yep. something new, but it's nice to see that they're being creative again. And then they had that trick play where it was, they they tossed it to a couple people, finally threw it back, and had who was it that threw the football? I forget. Shaven threw it. It was the, the handoff pitch to a wide receiver. I think it was Baldwin coming around that side who pitched it back to Shaven, who tossed it to 38 yards to wide open Gavin Holmes. Gavin Holmes tweeted afterwards. He quote tweeted. Right. He, he was like, that, would, that took forever for the ball to get there. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny, but that's that's what they're going to have to do. They're going to have to come up with creative plays like that if, they're, if they want to fulfill the potential of this team, which I still believe is very high, especially 
after we saw Ben Sims back yesterday, who's a key piece of this offense. And especially after we saw Oklahoma go down yesterday to Kansas State. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get to Oklahoma going down. Um, you know, Kansas State, big win there. Uh, but, but to your point, just want to touch on a few things. Yeah, uh, Tay McWilliams was, was not playing uh, for, for Baylor on Saturday. Um, Dylan, Dylan Doyle did, did uh, you know, he had a receiving and rushing touchdown uh, against BYU in 2021. Uh, so they have used him in the in the offensive schemes before, but it you know between Blake Shapen rolling out on on bootlegs to that you know touchdown pass to Sims on the opening drive on fourth and two uh, to the trick play that that really should have been the nail in the coffin. That the game should have been over. I think a lot of people felt like it was, but obviously Iowa State made a push at the end. Um, it, it was definitely nice to see the playbook open up. And if you want to win the Big Twelve, if you want to win the conference. You just you have to go into Ames and you have to be Iowa State. Just if you want to be top of the league, that's a game that you just have to win. It's tough to win on the road. We saw that against BYU, um, but you just you know you just have to beat the Cyclones on the road there. Uh, one interesting thing that I wanted to point out because this is maybe an area of concern for me, but between the road games at BYU and at Iowa State, Pernay the penalties by the opposition have really helped Baylor, you know, stay in the game, take control of the game and, and, and win the game uh, for the, you know, as we saw last Saturday, they obviously didn't win the game against BYU, but they were able to make overtime. And the key was that both the Cougars and the Cyclones committed key personal foul, 15 yard, variety penalties in like the worst situations that kept Baylor drives alive or springboarded the bears to a long touchdown drive in each of those games. There were three personal foul penalties on BYU and three on Iowa state that led to three Baylor touchdowns in each game. And that's to me, that doesn't seem like that's something that is uh, sustainable or that you can bank on uh, for, for future contests. So while I think, Baylor has been getting better each week. They've been getting better week over week, as has Blake Shaven. It's still not perfect, and you still want to see them be able to move the ball a little bit better uh, them, themselves. At least, at least I would. A lot of those penalties, just you know, uh, and what Iowa State was doing on on Saturday was kind of just undisciplined football. Very surprising um, from you know, from that, that, that team who's usually a little bit more disciplined than that, just unnecessary roughnesses and targeting penalties and face masks and things like that. But basically Baylor was not gifted 21 points because you still have to find the end zone, but six touchdown drives this season have been extended as on the, you know, on the road to help make sure Baylor either stayed in the game or, you know, took control of, of the game. Uh, so it's just, I thought that was interesting just to keep an eye on moving forward to see how, if, if there's some you know better teams or if, or if other teams play cleaner football, if that is a problem for Baylor. But I think Baylor will continue to, to get better and they'll need to, uh, because again, you can't bank on those penalties, just extending drives, uh, he, you know, game in, game out. Absolutely. That's definitely the thing that we're going to want to keep an eye on to see how Baylor does when they're not helped by penalties by the defense. 
Um, just two last things that I wanted to get to. One, I think a really important part of yesterday's game was seeing that John Mayers is now the starting kicker for Baylor. He kicked one field goal and and four extra points, hit all of them. And unfortunately, Isaiah Hankins just wasn't doing it. And now we have John Mayers back, who's been huge for Baylor in key situations in previous years. And I think that's going to be huge for the team, not just having someone who can make the kicks, but having the belief that Blake Shapin and the offense having the belief that they can take take the ball into field goal range and secure three points, even if they can't get in the end zone. Um, the last thing I wanted to ask you, you you said that you thought Hal Presley would be the number one receiver before the season. He's been playing well. Gavin Holmes played really well yesterday. Um, and no one else did too much on the receiver end. Obviously, Ben Sims had five catches for 39 yards and touchdown. But what are your thoughts on the current wide receiver situation for Baylor? Yeah, I think I think part of that is Monterey Baldwin is is trying to get a little bit more more healthy. Um, and and you know I think the Bears' strength it lies in their tight end. Straight Dabney had a nice. Uh, you know, a couple of nice catches and a nice hurdle on Saturday. Ben Sims is obviously the favorite target. Um, they're, they're designing, you know, the passing offense around him, it seems like. Uh, but I really like uh, Presley and, and, and Gavin Holmes. I, I, I think it sounds, you know, to me, it sounds like Holmes has had to work his way back to earn playing time, you know, and, and he's really scratched and clawed for that. But he's an experienced guy, so I think that might be valuable down the stretch. And Blake Shaven had a nice – Really nice uh, pass to him, you know, uh, uh, on Saturday. And then Hal Presley, you mentioned it earlier, had had the catch on the sideline. That was that was a really nice throwing catch by both. So I think I think Hal Presley is definitely going to continue to develop into the the number one receiver. Um, but it's going to have to be, I think we've already seen kind of receiver by committee. And it's going to start with the tight ends, and then it's going to you know go to um, you know, Presley and, and rely on some more experienced guys like, like Holmes and, you know, use, use the back and, you know, use the backs out of the, uh, of the backfield and, and things like that. But yeah, I definitely like how Presley for sure. That was a great catch. And, and Shapin's two best throws of the day were definitely to that one to Presley and then the one to Holmes kind of streaking across the, uh, the middle of the field. Um, so that's kind of how I see the, the receiving situation but but to your point, no one's really separated themselves as as of yet, and I think that's why Holmes has been able to play himself back into the lineup along with side of some injuries, and um, and Presley has really been able to get some valuable reps as um, you know as as a freshman there. So time will tell. Obviously, it's run game, and then hopefully the receivers, you know, the passing game can can improve uh, throughout throughout the year. But it was like you said, Shaben had a had a great game, not perfect, but it was very controlled, poised, no turnovers. And then, uh, you know, Baylor was able to force a couple of turnovers them, themselves. So that was nice to see from from the defense, their first multi-turnover game of the, uh, of the season. Hopefully, hopefully Baylor's receivers can continue to improve throughout the year because they're going to have to if Baylor wants to keep winning Big 12 games and 
repeat as Big 12 Conference champions. And we'll talk about that in segment two, about how the rest of the Big 12 did and where Baylor stands in the Big 12 championship conversation after this past weekend. Welcome back into the Bears Illustrated podcast. In segment two, we're going to talk about the state of the Big 12 after this past weekend of college football and where Baylor stands in the Big 12 picture. Let's start with how all these Big 12 teams did this weekend. West Virginia played on Thursday night and won handily at Virginia Tech 33-10. to TCU one at SMU, 42 to 34. Baylor, of course, beat Iowa State on the road. Kansas is now off to a 4 0 start after they beat Duke in a battle of two 3 0 schools that are traditionally college basketball blue bloods. And that that's, that's something we're going to have to talk about how Kansas has been, how good Kansas has been this season. Um, Next, we got Texas losing at Texas Tech in overtime. And, of course, Oklahoma dropped their game to Kansas State. Andrew, which one of these was the biggest statement to you? Ooh, the biggest statement uh, to me – I think the biggest statement was Kansas State over number six, Oklahoma, on the road. But the biggest surprise, I think, was Texas Tech over number 22, Texas, in overtime. Um, but if you want to start with the biggest statement, that was Kansas State, the Wildcats, coming back from a seven-point loss to Tulane, of all teams, and taking on the number six Sooners, uh, who just came off uh, a huge win over Nebraska, and by huge, I mean they blasted them, not so much of the significance of the win, but they did blast uh, Nebraska on the road after they fired Frost. Uh, Adrian Martinez comes back. The quarterback has 21 carries, near 150 yards rushing, and four TDs, and then uh, goes ahead and, and throws for another another score. And it was pretty, uh, pretty decisive um, for, for Kansas State to – to go into Norman, win that one pretty easily. Um, it was, you know, Oklahoma scored a last, you know, last touchdown late, but Kansas State for most of the second half uh, was was up uh, 14 points. You know, they controlled the ball for over 35 minutes. They put up, um, you know, both teams, you know, had a ton of offense, but they put up 41 points. Um, so to, to me, it was the Wildcats kind of, bouncing back after a really bad loss that had everybody being like surprised and, and scratching their heads and to come back and do that to the Sooners was, was crazy. I mean, they, they pretty much led the whole way. They, they jumped out to a 14, nothing lead. They led 24, 17 at halftime. And then, uh, you know, they're up 40, um, you know, they're up 34, 20, they're up two touchdowns for basically the whole, 
the whole fourth quarter. They just traded some TDs with the with the Sooners, um, and they looked they looked really, really, really good. You know, they they looked really good. That's all I can say about that for now. I totally agree. Kansas State is a team that you had in the Big 12 championship game, and after their home loss to Tulane last week, it was just like a wow, what a pick that was. But bouncing bouncing back from that and, and knocking off Oklahoma on the road, can't think of a bigger statement than that. Kansas yeah, State is right back on track in the Big 12 picture, obviously. And in a season where so many different college football teams have lost, Oklahoma is the next is the next top dog to fall. And we just don't know where this Big 12 season is heading now. I mean, Oklahoma is at the bottom of the Big 12 and Kansas is on top. <laughs> yeah. That you know, that the Baylor homecoming game against Kansas is is looking more and more interesting by the uh, by the minute. Um, of course, one team that did not play was was Oklahoma State, who's still top ten and undefeated. Um, although they they played significantly uh, less less tougher competition, um, and then those obviously Baylor and, and Oklahoma State square off this Saturday at McLean Stadium. Um, but yeah, it, it's anybody's guess on on who wins the Big Twelve at this point. But I, I think I feel confident saying I think Baylor is firmly in the driver's seat. They look like the best team um, in the conference. They don't look invincible by any stretch of the imagination. But they, if, if you had to ask, you know, if I had to put one team in my power rankings who's number one, I'm saying it's it's probably Baylor. It's probably Kansas State after that. And then it's probably Kansas, Texas Tech, and then Oklahoma State type type deal. Uh, but but yeah, any team could win on any Saturday for now. Um, I don't know how how are you feeling. Any other results catch your eyes in in how you uh, put put the state of the conference in as it stands today? I also think Baylor is the favorite now to win the Big Twelve. I know Oklahoma State's going to be ranked or they are ranked a lot higher they're in the top 10 and I think and Baylor is not Baylor is at 15 but but I I think that Baylor is a better team and obviously we're going to find out next weekend when Baylor hosts Oklahoma State and I think that game being at home is huge because Oklahoma State is a tough place to play and that was where Baylor lost last year and Oklahoma State might be the second best team in the conference now now that Oklahoma doesn't look too good. Um, I, I'm more confident now that Baylor's going to win the Big 12 than I was last week after winning on the road at Iowa State and then Oklahoma goes down at home. Um, I think Kansas Kansas is a legitimate threat. Kansas is probably my number three team in the Big 12 right now. They're, they're actually like a, a good team. I think that they're, they're not talented enough right now and complete enough to to beat Baylor but that homecoming game is going to be a good game and it's it's not unreasonable that Kansas is who Baylor plays in the Big 12 championship at the end of the season but I think that what we saw this past weekend with Oklahoma going down and of course with Texas going down to Texas Tech who by the way Jerry 
Jerry McGuire, Joey McGuire is doing a great job of coaching there. And he doesn't even have the talent yet that he will have in a couple of years. But I think, I think Baylor has a path to go undefeated in the big 12 and play itself back into the CFP conversation and race at the end of the season. Yeah. I mean, Texas tech, show me the money, Jerry McGuire. No, Joey McGuire afterwards. uh, Show me the money. Show me the money, man. And, and Kansas and Texas tech are both doing that. Um, Really big bounce back win for Texas tech, right? They go on the road to NC state after a big overtime win against Houston, lose to the Wolfpack and come back and, um, and, and really, yeah, that, that, that game was back and forth. It was toe to toe, um, you know, all, all afternoon. And the Red Raiders had, you know, game winning field goal, basically with 21 seconds left. They, they lapsed on defense, let Texas drive the length of the field in three plays, take a field goal to tie it. And then first play of overtime, they get a fumble, recovered and then a chip shot field goal to, to win the game. Um, good for the Red Raiders. That was, that was, that was great. And, you know, we talked about it. We talked about it in all of our, our preseason podcasts. It's kind of, you know, we'll believe it when we see it with Texas. And, and we saw a lot when they played Alabama and that was great. And, you know, they should have won. It was a major missed opportunity by the Longhorns. Uh, but then, you know, they go. To, they travel to Lubbock and, and they let their foot off the gas and, and they lose. They lose that one. Uh, so and that was in you know, the fans' rush to the field. That's the first time they they beat Texas at home since Michael Crabtree's catch in 08. So you know a lot of a lot of joy in Lubbock over 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 the weekend and Texas. You know it's just a matter of them being consistent and playing the same every single week. And I, I'm sure. Longhorn fans are going to say like, yeah, we got a bunch of injuries and things like that. But, you know, it seems to me that Texas is just going to either play up or play down to their competition. Um, you know, and that that's culture and attitude, right. Within the program. That's, you know, that's easily fixable, but it's, you know, it's, it's an easy thing to say to fix, but it's hard in practice to, to do that when, when you kind of think you're a big brand and you're entitled to, to a lot of things. Um, and, and Kansas, to your point, they could definitely wind up in Arlington. I, I don't think it will happen, but, you know, they've had the ball bounce their way so far this year with a couple of one possession games, uh, an overtime game against the big 12 rival to open the season. They're sitting, they're sitting really nice. Um, and gosh, I mean, we could go on forever. And then, and then you have West Virginia there, TCU wins the iron skillet. Um, but it, Renee, I mean, I think I think the, the best thing was having Oklahoma and Texas lose this weekend. It's always a good weekend when you have something like that happen. That's right. It's a great day as a Baylor fan when both Oklahoma and Texas lose. That's exactly what happened this past weekend. And seems like it might happen a couple more times this season. We'll just have to see. But yeah, Kansas, Oklahoma State, maybe Kansas State now look like the threats to Baylor's crown as Big 12 champs. And we'll just have to see what goes on. This this game this weekend against Oklahoma State is going to be massive 
because if Baylor pulls this one out and is able to keep building that chemistry and become the team that we thought we were going to see this year with a very good defense and a very good offense, now with a seemingly a, a good special teams, Baylor has the opportunity to still fulfill its potential and be one of the top four teams in the country when it's all said and done at the end of the season. Talking about who the top four teams in the country are, let's move on to the entire landscape of college football and what went down this past weekend around the country. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back into the Bears Illustrated Podcast. It's time to talk about the entire landscape of college football and where the chips fell this past weekend when it comes to all of the conferences. A couple games that stand out, Clemson, number five Clemson at number 21 Wake Forest went to overtime and Clemson was able to pull it out 51 to 45 in overtime. Also, there were some other games that were close. Obviously, Arkansas also fell, or Arkansas did fall to Texas A&M, unlike Clemson. Arkansas fell 21-23, and that's another undefeated team, another SEC team with a loss. And number 11, Tennessee, took down Florida at home 38-33 in another close game. Andrew, which of those games and which of all of the games this past weekend stood out to you? Yeah, it's got to be, it's got to go, uh, go to Winston-Salem. There are a lot of good ones, um, but Clemson, number five in the country, uh, needing double overtime to escape Wake Forest. Uh, you know, Wake Forest is trying, they're trying to get over the hump to be a championship level program. They were in the ACC title game last year, lost to Pitt, uh, but they also got blown out by, by Clemson last year. Uh, they were able to kind of, you know, um, backdoor their way in a little bit there at the end of the season. Wake Forest has not been Clemson since 2008. And under Dave Clawson, their head coach, they're 0-8 going into Saturday. They were 0-8 against Clemson with an average margin of defeat of 41-13. to Their quarterback had an outstanding day, record-setting performance. And in the end, they had the ball midfield. They just needed a few more yards to get in the field goal range and potentially win the game, pull off the upset, rush the field at the end of regulation against the Tigers. They couldn't do it. 
um, took some sacks and completions, uh, had to punt the ball back, went to overtime, went to double overtime, uh, and they just could not get the job done. You know, so Wake Forest still looking to get over that hump to be a championship program. And now, you know, they, they might have lost that opportunity this season if Clemson continues on their trajectory. But really like the ACC, that's an interesting conference, especially with Syracuse coming on strong and, uh, you know, NC State trying to do some things as well. But it does look like it's Clemson's to lose. Um, so that'll be interesting. And then uh, got to go to Jerry World in Arlington, Texas A&M against Arkansas. KJ Jefferson really loved the Razorbacks this year um, as an upstart, you know, SEC team. Uh, really, again, a program trying to make the, you know, the leap to, you know, the next level. Maybe not quite championship at this point, but trying to make a make a leap. And that's what KJ Jefferson tried to do from the five yard line. Tried to tried to leap over everybody uh, like he was, um, uh, you know, Bo, um, Bo Jackson and. You know, obviously fumbled. AM had the Ed Reed, Ed Reed lateral handoff um, return for a touchdown, and the momentum was never the same. And then, of course, Arkansas doinks it off the very top of the right uh, upright at the end of the game with minute 30 left. So, AM, all they have to do is kneel it. So, AM's looking a lot better. You know, it's crazy how you can turn your season around. Um, you can lose to Appalachian State, but you can still turn your season around. Um, so that was that was a fun game. You're you know, for me personally, I was hoping Arkansas could, could do something uh, a little better, but but maybe maybe Tennessee. You know, just always look for the SEC. There's there's Bama and Georgia at this point in the West and East. I'm just looking for a team, uh, any other team in the SEC that can beat those two. Um, you know, Arkansas and A and M in the West, maybe. Um, in the in the East, it's going to be Tennessee and Kentucky who are your top ten programs. So uh, Tennessee survived Florida. God, they almost blew that again, didn't they? Pernay, um, you know, had had a big lead and then let Florida score a touchdown and then get the onside kick and they almost blew it again. I forget what year it was when they blew a huge lead to the Gators before, but they lost on the Hail Mary. That was like sixteen or seventeen or something like that. But this was there. Uh, only their second win, 18 tries against Florida. So uh, things are looking up in Knoxville. Still going to be interesting to see if they can uh, take down Georgia, who still looks to be the best, even though they struggled with Penn State. Um, I know that was a lot. I, I just threw a lot out there, so I apologize. But, Pernay, you know, was there a specific one that, that you loved um, over, over anything else this weekend? Well, I want to turn to, to what you mentioned about Georgia – struggling with Kent State because we had seen every other team in college football struggle with somebody this season. We saw Alabama struggle with Texas. We saw Oklahoma just fall. We saw Arkansas fall. Clemson struggle. Ohio State struggle with Notre Dame. And Michigan this weekend struggled against Maryland. They only won by seven, 34-27. That was a close game. Um other other top twenty five teams that struggle this season. I mean, this weekend, Miami fell to Middle Tennessee. Oregon only won by three at Washington State. Granted, Washington State is probably a pretty good team, given that they beat Wisconsin earlier this year. Um, let's see who else. USC only won by three at Oregon State. BYU had a little bit of a struggle against Wyoming 
in the first half. They were able to pull that one out by two touchdowns. Um, well, I, I want to turn back to the Georgia point because Georgia legitimately had a, had a tight game with Kent State. I know the score is 39 to 22, but it was only 26 to 13 at half. Um, they, there was no point where they absolutely started blowing the doors off of Kent State, which you expect to do, which you expect Georgia to do against most Power 5 teams, and especially a team like Kent State. Granted, Kent State gave Oklahoma a run in the first half last or a couple weekends ago. But I think, I think Georgia's starting to show that maybe they're not the powerhouse that we thought they were maybe maybe there's a chance that they fall as well especially because like you mentioned Tennessee and Kentucky in the SEC East who Georgia will play both of this season both of them look really good Tennessee at the end it was close they almost blew the lead but they looked dominant against Florida and they already have a win over Pitt as well Kentucky looks like a good team Georgia's not going to have as easy of a road to the SEC championship game as they did last year. And if they, if they have instances like this where they don't play to their best and and give other teams opportunities to swoop in, when they're playing Kentucky and Tennessee and it's not Kent State, one of those teams might do it. I think we saw this weekend that this season really is as crazy as it seemed the first few weeks and that we legitimately don't know who's going to win this thing. Yeah, no, de definitely. I think we have, you know, we still have a good idea. I think the the cream kind of rose, especially in the second half. Um, you know, Georgia made a ton of mistakes in the first half. Um, Maryland might have beat Michigan if, if, you know, if not for the the ball that went off the guy's face mask on the, on the, on the uh, kickoff. Um, that was just a bad turnover really, really early on. Um, and I don't, I don't think Kentucky is as good as, as, as they're ranked. I think that will shake out um, over the course of the season. But I do want to turn your uh, attention to Tennessee because, like you said, they, they, they do look good. They, they beat Florida, who they hadn't beaten in, in a long time, right? So they ended that drought. They beat Pitt, ranked a ranked Pitt team in overtime. Um, and now it's, it's – it's a matter of can can they get over the hump? Uh, a lot of people in Tennessee would love for them to do so. Here's here's interesting. They play both Alabama and Georgia this year, so they play it. They get them both. They're they're undefeated right now. Pernay, what if what if they beat Alabama, lost to Georgia, and Georgia beats Alabama in the SEC title game? Georgia's undefeated. Uh, Alabama, of course, would have would have the two losses there, and Tennessee sitting there as a non non division champion, non conference champion, with one loss and one of you know probably a top five or seven victory in in the nation, a la Alabama from uh, a few years a few years back uh, when they were a non division non conference champion. Um, so, just just an interesting thing to ponder. If that happens, I guess you have a a situation where it's very likely that two teams from the SEC East get in, especially given 
how much the playoff committee has has liked the SEC throughout the existence of the college football playoffs. But the more and more I think about it or and watch these games, I I don't think that this is a season where we're going to get two SEC teams in just because of the way that everyone has been has been struggling to beat everyone. I mean, Tennessee went to overtime against Pittsburgh, who's number 24 in the country right now and is a contender in the ACC. And then they almost let Florida all the way back. They're not blowing teams out like Georgia did last year. And I think it's, it's, it's difficult to let two teams in from the same division, even though the SEC has gotten two teams in before they haven't, it's been Alabama and Georgia. They haven't gotten two teams in from the same division and Alabama doesn't look great enough this year to get in with, without winning the SEC in my opinion. But again, if we get chaos in all of the conferences, then they might end up letting in two SEC teams. I just know this this is gonna be this is gonna continue to be a fantastic college football season to watch in all of the conferences. This is what's going down this year is has it's been so fun and we don't know what's gonna happen to what team on what weekend. Usually any given Sunday is reserved for the NFL, but this is an ev this is an any given Saturday type of college football season. It, it is, you know, Appalachia State blew a 28-3 lead against James Madison. Stephen F. Austin, bringing it back to Texas, scored 98 points on Saturday for today. 98. They won 98 to nothing. <laughs> wow. Yeah, this college football season is, is wild, and there's almost no game that I would want to miss. It's going to be very interesting. It's going to be fun. And Baylor still has a chance to make the college football playoff. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? is a raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+.